This teaching is brought to you by Christian Family Church International. How many of you are ready for the word this morning? I am pumped, and I think it's a lot to do with the excitement for next, for next weekend. I'll also be teaching tonight, and we're just going to have a great time together. Well, like I said, we're in 15 days of 21 days of prayer. Hasn't it been amazing? I want to encourage every single one of you out there, please to go to our website and download the book of prayers that we've given you resources in order to help you pray. Now, what that book did for me personally was this, that as I began to read through it, you know, sometimes we can, be so, we can become so befuddled, we actually don't know where to start in prayer. I mean, many of us, for example, when we come into prayer, the first thing we want to do is we just want to repent of all our sin, thank God for the blood of Jesus, cleanse us of an impure conscience, and then we, when we feel good, then we want to move on. But you'll learn that in the book of prayers that there is a pattern of prayer. There is a way to approach God. I mean, take, for example, the tabernacle prayer, which Pastor Johnny spoke about, the prayer of Moses in week number one. The first thing you do is you get to the outer court where you praise and thanks and worship the Lord for who He is. Why is that? Because when we enter into prayer, our, fo our focus first and foremost should be God. When we come into prayer repentant and all that, the focus is on us. It's what we can get from God. This is not a pattern for biblical prayer. It's really only once you've gone through the outer court, past the brazen altar, which is the, which is the cross of Jesus, symbolic of the cross, and you get to the laver, that's where consecration only begins to start. So I tell you that to say this. Download that book and make sure you follow with us every morning in prayer as we pray at 8 o'clock. All the staff pray together. It's a great time of teaching and we feel really fulfilled. So when I got that book, I thought to myself, gee whiz, man, it's possible to pray effectively using this book. So make sure you download it. I love our theme scripture for this series, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18. Look at what it says. It says, pray in the spirit in every situation Use every kind of prayer and request there is. Pray in the Spirit in every situation. Now, personally, I feel that those people who have received the heavenly prayer language and can pray in the Spirit have a huge advantage over those who cannot and only pray from their intellect. Let me use this as a metaphor. Have you ever stood on the beachfront or perhaps over a on a mountain range and looked out as far as the eye can see. Your sight is limited. And obviously, depending on your age, it might be more limited than others. But imagine the guy now standing next to you who's just as limited as what you are, picks up a set of binoculars and begins to look. Depending on the magnification of those binoculars, he can look miles further than what you can. That's how I like to compare the person who can pray in the spirit versus those who can only pray from their mind. Look at what Paul says. He says, pray in the spirit in every situation. What that says to me is that there is not a single situation that you are facing right now that the Holy Ghost cannot solve. And you know why that is? Because when we pray in the Holy Ghost, we are praying according to his wisdom, his power, and his ability as opposed to our own. So, pray in the Spirit in every situation. Use every kind of prayer. Come on. Every kind. You need to download that resource that we've given you. We're going to give you plenty of different kinds of prayers that require different rules in order to see God answer those prayers. So, you want to make sure 
that you can pray in the Spirit and that we educate ourselves and learn how to pray every kind of prayer. And that's what this 21 days of prayer is all about. Before I go to the next verse in the book of James, I want to create a bit of a backdrop because the next two portions of Scripture both have James deeply interwoven and James's life interwoven into them. James was the half-brother of Jesus. James didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. It was only after his resurrection that James came to Christ. In actual fact, he was so convicted, James promised himself that he would not eat until he saw the Lord again. Thank God Jesus was raised to life three days afterwards so James can eat. But that is the type of conversion that James had. James was also the senior pastor of the church in Jerusalem. We'll find out a bit more about that just a little bit later. But James was murdered. He was murdered by Jewish zealots. They took him to the corner of the temp temple and asked him to blaspheme Christ, blaspheme God. He refused to, and they threw him off the temple anyway. He landed and broke all the bones in his body, but he still wasn't dead. History records that they then began to stone him. And when the stoning didn't kill him, then he was beaten to death by some merciful passerby. It was when they rolled him over, history tells us, that James's knees looked like the knees of a camel. And he got the nickname Camel Knees. Why would James have camel knees? Well, because he spent more time on his knees than he did on his feet. James was a man of prayer. And I tell you this because as I read this verse, it packs a whole bunch of more weight behind what James is trying to teach us as the New Testament church. And that's, that's the title of my message. Sorry, I forgot to mention that earlier on. The title of my message is all about the New Testament church. We're going to be looking at examples in the Bible, in Scripture, specifically in the book of Acts, how the New Testament church changed politics, changed the world, and how that is applicable for us today. But before I even get onto those examples, let's take a look at what it says in James chapter 5 and verse 16. James says this, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Notice that verse precedes speaking about effective prayer. You see, James believed in the New Testament church that there ought to be transparency amongst believers and accountability amongst one another. That we should pray for one another, come together in agreement so that we may be healed physically, socially, spiritually, financially, and emotionally. And he believed that as this healing comes, we progressively can become more effective in our walk with God and in our prayer life. But he says this, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The word effective simply translated means something that works. I don't know about you, but I want a car that works. I don't want to get up in the morning and turn it on. It may look pretty, but I don't need it looking pretty. I need it functioning. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I mean, you've never heard the guy say, you know what, I've just got such an ineffective cell phone. It's great. It just doesn't dial or anything like that. No, you want your cell phone to be effective. Hey, we want our hair dryers to be effective, right? I mean, when we blow waving in the morning, you want your hair dryer to be effective. You want your straightening iron. I don't use that. You want your straightening iron to be effective. So if we want all these other things in our life to be effective, surely we want our prayer life to be effective, don't we? The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now we're going to see how impactful and effective the prayer of the New Testament church can be subsequent to Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for us. 
So let's now take a look at an example in Acts chapter 12. This is such a tremendous example, and let me just position this verse for a moment. Let me just position it for a moment. You know what? This, this verse, or this chapter, should I say, brings me such solace. Because I don't know about you guys, but early on in my Christian walk, and hey, sometimes even as a mature believer, you know, we go through ups and downs, and we, we find ourselves thinking, you know what? Is God going to answer my prayer? You know, I'm just, I'm just not in the right place. I'm not feeling it. Uh, I, I, I'm just not where I used to be. Uh, should I even bother praying? Will the Lord hear my prayers? I mean, I'm, I'm going through stuff. My faith is not perfect. How about that one? I don't believe that I've got mountain-moving faith right now. This is really going to bless you, and it's really going to encourage you as we find out that this praying church was powerful, but maybe not that expectant. Let's take a look at this. Let's go to James, Acts chapter 12 and verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending, you want to put a circle around that word intending, intending, listen, Herod intended doing a lot of things. In actual fact, we will read that he had just killed James, the brother of John, by the sword in the next verse, but let me not get ahead of myself. Let's go back to, let's go back to verse number one. And so it says, it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. Let me tell you, the devil has always got an intention for something. He intended to disrupt the church. He intended to bring the church to its knees. Actually, that's not a right saying because he brought us to our knees and we prayed and we're victorious. He, dis, he, he intended to disrupt the church. He intends to dis disrupt your job. He intends to bring decrease into your life, not the increase that God wants. And so here we find that Herod, he intended doing a whole bunch of stuff. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with the approval amongst the Jews, he proceeded to, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. I mean, this guy was completely shameless. He didn't care what was going on right then. He wanted to have his own way. He wanted to persecute. He wanted to disrupt. He had intentions for bad for the church. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod, here we go again, Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after Passover. You see, Herod thought he was actually in charge here. He thought he was the one calling the shots. But I love this next verse. Take a look at this. So Peter was kept in prison, but, but, that's a big but. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The Greek word there for earnestly, funny enough, is the same Greek word that is used for the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man availing much. So this church was in a place, maybe they were praying hard but not expecting very much, and I'll explain that and qualify it a bit later. But the Bible says that Herod had all these plans. Governments have all these plans to clamp down on the church. The devil has all these plans to reduce the finances and the job opportunities of people attending the church. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Check this out. The night before Herod was to bring him out to trial, Peter was sleeping. I mean, come on. Talk about Peter's mentality. You pray, I'll play. He's fast asleep. I mean, Peter never saw a nap he didn't want to take. 
He never saw a nap he didn't want to take. Peter was fast asleep. Do you know why? Faith sleeps in a storm. When you're completely rested in God, and we see this throughout Scripture, Jesus slept during the storm because faith sleeps during the storm. I mean, he had, Peter wasn't stressed about things he had no control over. He had 16 gods looking after him. I don't even think the church knew the kind of clamp down that Peter was under, but that did not matter to them because they were about to pray in the Spirit for all things. They had already been full of the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 3. Remember, so Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and centuries stood God at the entrance. Take a look. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. When my wife switches on the lights and I'm asleep, I wake up. Peter was so rested in God, he was so fast asleep that the light of this angel didn't even wake him. He actually had to strike Peter. Look at this. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up. I always wondered why the angel insisted on, hey, quick, get up. I personally believe, and I, I, don't, I can't confirm this right now, but I personally believe the angel thought, listen, we've got to get working while the church is praying. We can only operate while the church is praying. We don't know when that's going to end. So Peter, let's use the power that the church, the New Testament church is releasing right now to get you out of bondage. Look at this. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Can someone say, break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. In Jesus' name, the chains came off. You know, the New Testament church praying up a storm, praying in the Holy Ghost, being anxious for nothing, will see people set free from bondages, from addictions right now in the name of Jesus, where you are struggling with a habit, struggling with an addiction, struggling with a bondage in the name of Jesus Christ. I declare that you are free, that Peter's chains fell off, and so do yours in the name of Jesus. Can someone say, hallelujah, can I get a witness? Can I get a like? Can I get a praise the Lord? God is amazing. The chains fell off Peter's wrists. Every intention that Herod had for him came to naught the moment the church started praying. We are a New Testament church, folks. It's time we begin to rise up. You can only poke a lion so many times before the lion turns around and snaps. We are, hallelujah, we're like that lion, amen? The church may have been sleeping up until now, but hallelujah, by the grace of God, we are awake. Praise God. Let's take a look what it says. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second gods and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself. No one touched it. No one touched the gate, not even the angel. It opened by itself. A praying New Testament church will see doors open for those who are part of the New Testament church. Not just watching TV at home when we can have church in church. Not those kind of guys. The guys that were involved in church that are part of the dream team, that are serving people because they've been saved. 
That's the kind of person that the doors will open for. Watch this. And they went through it. They walked through it. Let me tell you, and I declare and I prophesy that as a New Testament church and as Christian family church takes up these 21 days of prayer, I declare in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, the doors are opening. What was previously closed is going to be opened by the grace of God, and we're going to walk right through it. Can someone say, walk right? I would step now, but I'm not allowed to because I might go out of shot. But if I could, I would. Walk right through it. Where you are in your lounge, step right through it right now in the name of Jesus. When they had walked the length of the one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know, without a doubt, interesting, with interesting. While this was all happening to him, there was a possibility that Peter doubted what was actually happening. He thought he was dreaming. Notice that word doubt over there. This is why it encourages me so. Peter thought he was having a dream. Only once he'd come through it. And listen, sometimes we're praying and trusting and asking the Lord for something, but we've got a whole bunch of doubts flooding our mind. It's okay. It's okay. Peter was there. This praying church, we're going to find out, was there themselves. They didn't have it all together. Listen, that's why Jesus came. He didn't only come to make up the shortfall. He came to be the answer. Hallelujah. Can someone say praise the Lord? Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything. The Jewish people were hoping or intending would happen. Can someone say God can rescue us? What a great example of the power that is released when the church prays. Let's read further. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered, hey, and were, he was free, and they were still praying. They were still interceding. I wondered why the Lord didn't lift the burden off the church. Why he didn't lift the burden off the church and say, hey guys, don't worry, Peter's free, you can pray. These guys prayed through, and we're gonna talk about persistence in a moment. These guys were people, and the New Testament church needs to be a church that prays right through it. I learned in boxing, if you really wanna knock a guy out, you gotta punch through the bag right to the other side. We need to pray through. Can someone say amen? It says, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant by the name of Rhoda came to answer the door. <laughs> when she recognized Peter's voice, now stick around. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed. She's like, hey, Peter's here. Prayer works, hallelujah. She was so overjoyed, she ran back without even opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. Now listen to this. This is the praying church. They released enough power to see an angel manifest right in the middle of Peter's mess. And this is what they say. You're out of your mind. You're out of your mind, they told her. Listen, have you ever overprayed and underexpected? I mean, sometimes we're just happy that the Lord will come through for us in part. You know, prayer for us often becomes a list of things as opposed to a relationship. Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. This is where the song came from. You keep on knocking, but you can't come in. That was Rhonda said that, but, or Rhoda said that. But Peter kept on knocking, 
And when they opened the door finally and saw him, look at this. Great church of faith. I mean, surely we'd like to think if that was us and we had prayed Peter through and he'd knocked on the door and said, okay, you finally hear our praise the work, praise the Lord. No, they were absolutely astonished. You know, folks, I'm so glad that as we learn these patterns of prayers and how to pray, and we're gonna take a look at more examples now, that Jesus, by the power of the Holy Ghost, the Father himself undergirds us and provides what is lacking. There is grace there, and this is a prime example of it. But, but they were praying. Let's see what it says. Peter mentioned with his hand, or motion, sorry, motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. I want to stop there just for a second and declare that as you've been set free today, many of you, as I prophesied and prayed, I want you to go and tell someone about how the Lord has brought you out of prison, how he's brought you out, that that addiction no longer has a hold on you, that bad habit no longer has a hold on you. Those chains are off and you've walked out. You're not looking back. And look what he says here. He says, tell James and the other brothers. Now, hey, this is the James that pastors the church in Jerusalem. He's the same James that by virtue of this experience, I believe, wrote the fervent effectual prayer of a righteous man avails much. It was because of what James had witnessed through the life of Peter and his deliverance as the New Testament church prayed that James wrote what he wrote in James. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. Then he left for another place. So one more verse, here we go. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. You can imagine it was going crazy there in the jailhouse. That's where the other song came from, Jailhouse Rock. No, I'm kidding with you. Anyway, now tonight, I'm going to continue on, and I'm going to speak about the implications of the praying church. So you don't want to miss tonight. We're going to be praying, doing a corporate prayer as a church together. I've scripted a prayer that's based upon the scriptures and principles that we've been listening to and hearing about all up until this 15 days of prayer. And tonight, we're going to pray this together. I tell you what, Joburg is going to shake. The heavens are going to shake tonight in Jesus' name. So I want to give you some ingredients from the story and what we've read in James that I believe makes for an effective prayer life. Five ingredients that make for an effective prayer life. And the first ingredient is this. Where there is pressure, prompting or pain, our prayers become more effective. Listen, you know, God doesn't really speak to us when we're in an armchair. He has to pull us out and apply pressure on our lives. Pressure produces a more earnest, hey, Paul said, be anxious for nothing but in all things with prayer. You know what anxiety simply is? Anxiety or distress is simply a call to pray. Worry is not a call to worry more. Worry is simply an indicator. It's a red flag that says we must go and pray. So where there is pressure, prompting, or pain, I believe that this pressure is an essential ingredient. Listen, they were praying for Peter because they'd just seen James, the brother of John, killed with the sword by the same Herod. They were praying because they knew Peter's life depended upon it. Folks, you know there are many people out there that have yet to come to Christ in this church over here that require praying. And let me tell you, there is a Herod that is after them. 
It is incumbent upon us as a New Testament church to pray them out of prison, to pray those shackles off in the name of Jesus. Take a look at what it says in Psalm chapter 18 and verse 6. In my distress. Now, now David wrote this when he was being chased by Saul himself. Notice he acknowledges that he is in distress. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my, to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. Now, your distress may not be like David's. It may not be the fact that someone is pursuing you and is after your life. Besides, we know that the devil is a target on your back. But it may be something, something comp your distress may be something completely unique in your family. Maybe it's a stronghold that you're trying to overcome. Let me tell you, our distresses obviously want to lead us away from the Lord. It's a lie from the pit of hell. The devil says the reason you're going through this is because God's not happy with you and he's judging you. David had the sense to know that his, check this out, that his needs must lead to his knees. His needs must lead to his knees. You see, folks, I've learned that difficult roads paved with prayer will always lead to the most beautiful destinations. Difficult roads paved with prayer, not paved with anger, not paved with resentment, not paved with unforgiveness. It has to be paved with prayer. And the New Testament church and us as individuals need to pave that road with consistent and faithful prayer. The second ingredient, and I went to it too soon, but anyway, here we go. The second ingredient to effective prayer is to pray with passion. Is to pray with passion. Do you know that the passion fruit comes from what is called a passion flower? And the reason it was named the passion flower, incidentally, was by, was by Roman Catholic priests. Because they believed, because of its color and its vibrance, that it stood out amongst anything else. And they said it reminded them of the crucifixion of Jesus, the passion. That's why it's called the passion flower, from where we get the passion fruit. That describes passion so beautifully. Listen, I like to fix my Sprite Zero with a bit of passion fruit. Passion fruit just makes the world a better place. Amen? So you get condensed passion fruit. It just adds a bit of life to you. And I believe that that's what, that's what passion does to our prayer. Take a look at Hebrews 5 and verse 7. It says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, now it's speaking about Christ himself, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears. I had to ask myself the question when I was confronted with this verse. When was the last time I wept before the Lord? When was the last time my heart and I entered into groanings and sighings and seeking the will of God? This scripture convict, convicted me. And it should as a New Testament church. It should convict us. Because listen, look at the outcome of passion. It says, with fervent, with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard, watch this, because of his reverent submission. Now, other translations say because of his fear of the Lord. But because of his reverent submission, look at this, son though he was, he learned obedience from what he had suffered and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obeyed him. This issue of passion being involved in our prayer teaches us that God often, more often than not, meets us just one step outside of our comfort zone. Passion 
is vital in intercessory prayer and in prayer itself. We saw it in the life of Jesus. We saw it in the life of James. We saw it in the life of the New Testament church. And then he also said this, passion can be cultivated. Passion can be cultivated. One of the ways you cultivate passion is when you come before the Lord in prayer and let's say you're praying for your neighbor. The love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts, but maybe you don't find yourself praying that aggressively and praying with much conviction. And All you need to do is this and say, Holy Ghost, I, I ask that you would draw intercessory prayer from deep within my spirit in the name of Jesus, that you would draw it, let it rise up inside of me, Father. Give me the passion that Jesus had in the Garden of Gethsemane. Give me the passion that Christ had. That's all you need to do. The Lord says he'll give you whatever you ask the Father. How about, Father, we ask right now in Jesus' name that where passion has been lacking in our prayer life, it may have showed up in every other area with regards to our hobbies, with regards to our families, with regards to our job. It may have rocked up in all of those. We ask, Lord, for a healthy dose of heavenly passion to fill our hearts in order to help us pray more effectively. And if you received that, you said, Amen. Here's the third ingredient that I believe makes for important prayer. And that is with persistence. Oh, I love this next verse. I love this next verse. Remember I mentioned earlier on about how even Peter, when he was being led out, didn't know he was. Only once he was out did he realize, hey, I'm out and I was fast asleep. I went from fast asleep to free. Why? Because of the praying church. When he came to the door, Rhoda didn't, Rhoda didn't let him in. They didn't believe. They were shocked that he was there. Now this, this verse over here, when we talk about persistence, this is from Jonah chapter 2 and verse 1. I love this. It says, from inside the fish, can someone say inside the fish or inside your situation? I mean, think about it. Jonah was so far out of the will of God. For those of you who don't know the story, God instructed Jonah to go to Nineveh and, and bring about revival. Jonah didn't like the Ninevites. They were responsible for plundering his, his family, his, his friends, his tribe. He didn't want to go to them. And so he went down to Tarshish, got on a boat, and went in the opposite direction. I mean, he was as far away from the will of God as anybody can possibly get. And let me say this. Oftentimes when we feel like that, the last thing we want to do is pray. But look what happens over here. From inside the fish, in the middle of that situation where he knew he was disobeying God, where he knew he had done wrong, where he was still struggling with his own will. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Now listen, regardless of where you find yourself, this is the message on persistence. Keep praying. Whether in disobedience like Jonah, whether in struggle, even when your kids are not responding the way you would have liked after all the prayers you prayed, even in pain, even perhaps while like Jonah being digested by the stomach juices of a fish, I want to encourage you to be persistent in your prayer life. There is, there is no telling what God can do if you will just remain persistent. And we know that even while Jonah was out the will of God, the Lord heard his prayer. And the, and the fish didn't spit him out into the ocean, into his circumstances that found him there. They, it spat him out on the shore. God is a merciful God. Can someone say, amen, praise the Lord. So the message here about persistence is just stay with it. Pray, just stay with it. Now let's take a look at the next ingredient. Two more to go. The fourth ingredient, oh, 
The New Testament church needs to be in partnership with others. There is power. There is power in agreement. Take a look at this verse. Jesus says, Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them. Folks, listen. This is why we have small groups. I want to encourage you to click on the link below. If you don't have a prayer partner, if you don't have someone to stand by your side, I want to encourage you to become part of a cohesive family that prays together. Every single one of our small groups pray. Every single one. You want to immerse yourself in an environment where people are familiar with Jesus and pray to the Lord. And listen, if you're part of a small group, how about you start a prayer group or a prayer small group? Click on the link below. Let me tell you, folks, the Lord has delivered me through a whole bunch of stuff because people prayed for me. A whole bunch of stuff, more than I even care to tell you right now. The Lord has delivered me from stuff because someone else prayed. I feel responsible to pray through victory on behalf of others. There's a way you can do that, folks, right out there right now. Get involved in our small groups. Get involved in a prayer group. Begin to fulfill what Jesus says over here. Come together in two or more. Agree about it, and it will be done for you. And you will see, folks, a small group can see the likes of the Peters of this world completely free from their chains, completely walking out of prison in the name of Jesus. This is the new, I sense the presence of the Holy Ghost here. This is the prayer of the New Testament church. The fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man, singular, shall avail much. Can you imagine when more than one man comes together? The fervent, effectual prayer of a small group or of a New Testament church. Imagine that it's, one translation says it makes great power available to us. Great power. Come into agreement with someone. Come into agreement. And the fifth and the final one is this. We have to, as a New Testament, when we pray, a New Testament church, remain focused on the person of Jesus. Just lift up your eyes to the heels. Where does your help come from? Your help comes from the Lord. Fix your eyes on Jesus. The Bible says in Proverbs, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and they are safe. Look what it says in John 14 verses 13 and 14. And I will do whatever you ask in my name. Listen, we're coming in the name of a God that is alive. We're not coming in the name of Krishna. We're not coming in the name of Muhammad. Their graves exist. They are there. But Jesus is alive. And when you mention his name, he hears. Every other name will not be heard but the name of Jesus. Folks, let me say this. Let me say this. It's, it's in the name of Jesus. God is glorified not just by the prayers we pray, but he is glorified by the answers to those prayers. And we're about, we're about to get serious and worship the Lord together here. It's through prayer that the beautiful name of Jesus becomes the powerful name of Jesus. It's through prayer that the beautiful name, we sing that song, what a beautiful name it is. Come on, Gideon, let's worship the Lord together. Let's through pray, turn that powerful name of Jesus. Hallelujah, come on, let's pray. Go, beautiful name. Go! 
Here comes the power. Let's worship Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on. falling. I just see bondages being broken. We've just taught about prayer and God in advance is beginning to deliver and set people free. Can you just praise the Lord wherever it is? Listen, if you were laying in bed watching TV, I'm sure that you're out of your bed right now singing, there is power in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Isn't God amazing? Man alive. I'm excited. Next week, we'll be back at church. Praise the Lord. Thank you for joining us during this episode of Living Life with Dr. Theo and Bev Volmerantz. We hope that through this inspired teaching, you had an encounter with God. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Apostle Theo and Dr. Bev Volmerantz and would like to enjoy more resources, we hope you will visit our website at www.christianfamilychurch.co.za or for our American listeners, 
www.christianfamilychurchsa.com. 